He's a Deacon Deacon Jeff Rosignol. It's a fine blend of discipleship and entertainment. Truth is here. All right. It is Christmas. And Christmas, we are talking about the one of the two most profound things that took place in the life of Christ. And before I say anything, anything too silly, I need to pray. Father God, please uh, get me out of your way that the truths of your word will be lifted up and that through the power of the Holy Spirit we would understand and obey. Thank you, Jesus. Be glorified. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas! Are you all enjoying your Christmas? Did you all get what you wanted? Okay, well, some exciting stuff's going on. Um, This morning I was reading an article the Pope had shared in his Mass about charity. Christmas is about charity, you know, giving, and there's lots of needs. And there is lots of needs. And not just at Christmas time, but any time we should be looking to meet the needs of folks. But there's something greater, believe it or not, than social justice. There's something greater than helping the poor and you know feeding the hungry. There is something greater than that. And that's sharing Christ. Sharing Jesus Christ with someone so that when they die, they know where they're going. Giving them a hope that while they suffer on earth... There is fulfillment for them. And that is the bigger deal. I don't want necessarily Christmas to be kidnapped. I think commercialism is great, personally, because it's evidence of Christ. Why is everybody, why did the, everybody across America spend billions of dollars? Because Jesus Christ was born. They can pretend it wasn't Jesus' fault that they're celebrating Christmas this morning, all the atheists across the country. But that tree, that Christ-mass tree in their living room that they're giving their children gifts to and they spent money for is because Jesus Christ came to earth. So I love it, right? Even, Even people, when they try to cover over Christ, glorify Christ. You can't get away from it. I love it. There's a person, I, I recommend you be leery of this fella. I'm starting to put him on my warning watch list, and his name is Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley is a mega church pastor out of Georgia. He's, they've got several um, satellite churches. And earlier this year, he talked about the insufficiency of Scripture and just talked about the resurrection of Christ, which, of course, is contrary to all logic, because where do we get the information about the resurrection of Christ? The Bible, Right? But this, the beginning of December, he made these statements. And uh, he said, uh, first he said, if somebody can predict their own death, referring to the resurrection of Christ, I'm not at all concerned about how they got into the world. Okay? Now, I could see a youth pastor saying that. I might have said something that shallow for kids, but eventually come back around and probably was a better way I could have said that. If for a lost person... I could see that. Let's, let's work on one issue at a time. Jesus died for your sins. Let's get that across. Now we'll come back to figure out who Jesus is as you grow in Christ. I can dig that. But then he said this. And just a, few, a minute later, Christianity doesn't hinge on the truth or even the stories around the birth of Jesus. What? Bum, bum, bum. Yes, it does. 
He's a minister of a church. That should have never dripped from his mouth. Now, this isn't going to be picking on Anley Stanley, but I want to point out something. It does matter who was born that day, how he was born, and why he was born. Of course it matters. It matters very much. And that's what we're going to look at. We're going to... We have a delicious meal of New Testament and Old Testament verses talking about the incarnation of Christ, the prophecies of Christ and who He had to be and why it had to be Him and not any of us. So let's look at this. First, one other piece of logic. If, if you don't agree with the birth of Christ, the nativity scene, right? Um, why would you agree with the resurrection of Christ? They both come from the same source, the Bible. You know, it's all or nothing. All of these historical documents took place in time and history for us to know the truth. So let's get into this amazing stuff. I love this. Out of 1 John chapter 4, verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Now, this is a verse you could put right up against Stanley Stanley's statement. By this you know the Spirit of God. Was the Spirit of God speaking through Andy Stanley? Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Boom! Do you understand? Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Why would they say Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? Why make that designation? Of course you know Jesus Christ is not His last name. That's His title of Messiah, the Anointed One. Yeshua, God saves the Anointed One, has come in the flesh. Is from God. Boom! Only The Spirit of God allows you to know that. If you understand that and know that, that means the Holy Spirit has turned the lights on. 1 Timothy 3.16 Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh. This flesh, incarnation. Incarnation, not like carnation milk, but incarnation, meaning God took on flesh. Vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. And we read about that in Acts. This is amazing stuff. So let's look at this. The necessity that God had to provide a solution for the Genesis Rebellion. I want to take you back to the Proto-Evangelium. Evangelium. I've been practicing that. Evangelium. Have you ever heard of that? This is the Proto-Good News. The Proto-Gospel. The beginning Gospel. And we see that in Genesis chapter 13 and, four, and uh, chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. It says this, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you more than all cattle you are, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise him on the head. 
See, way back when Adam and Eve disobeyed God because they were lied to by the devil using a serpent, you know, this was more than a talking snake saying, you know, this is the great cosmic battle. And God saying to the devil at that time that there's going to be a war between you and the seed of Eve and... uh, He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise him on the heel. The snake strikes at the heel, and if it's a venomous snake, that could be a a blow, but when the human squishes its head, as Christ did on the cross, then that's where it's... This is what's called the the first gospel, the proto-gospel, saying, you know, God wasn't tricked. God didn't make creation, put Adam and Eve in there, and then say, oh no, I didn't see that coming. All right, God is sovereign. So even then, he had a plan in place. So now we're going to mention Hebrews chapter 1 and 2. And look at this. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. All right, what I want to highlight here is did God in many times and in many ways speak to us through the prophets? Well, that's what the whole Old Testament is, isn't it? Let's take a look at these from Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. See, there's something particular that God had to do um, which no one else could do. So in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I just want to note out something. Here in one verse is humanity and deity. For unto us a child is born and his name is mighty God. What did, if we were looking through the study of Mark with us, what was one of the claims? The Pharisees, Jesus would heal. They never denied his miracles. They wanted to throw rocks at his face because he kept saying he was God. All right? And there it is in Isaiah 9 6. Matthew 1 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. All right? Two Gospels talk about the birth of Christ, different parts of His birth, His coming to earth, His incarnation, His Emmanuel, right? Why are they doing that? Because it's very important who came to earth to die on the cross for you and me. Because we can't do it. Are any of you perfect, sinless, flawless? Can you calm a storm? Right? 
Can we calm ourselves when we get mad? Just go chew on a tree and when you're calm, come back in the house, right? We can't calm nothing. Who is this Jesus? I love these verses. These are awesome. Hebrews 1, 3-6. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He, Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of His power. Wait a minute. He's upholding the universe. He's not out there going, by the word of His power. He's just like, universe, be still. Do your thing as I made you to do. He's not sweating it. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Jesus. Who is this Jesus? But why a God-man? Let's look at this necessity of Hebrews 2, 10 and 11. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Say, I want to give you these biblical truths so that you build them on your heart like a foundation that cannot be taken away. God owns it. And what's exciting about this? It's Jesus. Jesus had to become a man. God had to take on human flesh to represent humankind. I'm going to show that more in detail in just a second. But here's some more from Hebrews chapter 2, 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong suffering. Jesus came to earth, took on flesh, that he would partake in these same things, including death, to defeat the devil. The devil struck him, Jesus dies on the cross, and actually it was God's wrath that killed him, just so that he could beat death. He beat sin, he lived a sinless life, He beats death. He gets up on three days, the resurrection, right? And there's no more fear of death. No more lifelong slavery to sin for those who trust in Christ. Hebrews 2.17 Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. 
What makes this exciting is he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Born and develop and grow up. He had to live a sinless life in order to be our representative sacrifice. Right? In the Old Testament, Jews would sacrifice animals and they'd pray, put their hands over the animals that their sin would be put on the animal, accounted for, and then they'd kill the animal. And the blood of that animal would cover their sin. In Christ, He's the sacrifice. He's the perfect sacrifice because there was no blemish. You couldn't sacrifice a defunct sheep. It had to be the best you had to sacrifice. Jesus was perfect. And propitiation, every Christian should memorize this word because it is in your Bibles. Propitiation. It means to favorably incline, appease, reconcile, conciliate. Jesus is appeasing God's wrath. Who's, what's God's wrath at? Our sin. If, God, if Christ does not reconcile us before God, God's justice and wrath will punish us justly. That's what Jesus is saving us from, God's justice. By satisfying God's justice. Does that make sense? That's so important to understand. Hebrews 2.18 For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now, I want to mention this just because it's funny and fun. Is Jesus' temptation is not like our temptation. When Jesus was in the wilderness and the devil tempted him with bread. Is bread a sin? Did any of you eat bread this week? Oh no, I sinned. I'm sorry, God. Right? Maybe you're on a carb diet and you didn't eat bread. I ate bread. I like bread. It's yummy. Right? Bread's not a sin. When the devil's saying, eat this bread, Jesus hadn't eaten for 40 days. And what the devil was saying is, you're God. Don't wait on God the Father. Take care of it yourself. You do it. Don't wait on God. You got your own plans. You got your own schemes. What does God know? Do it yourself. That's what he was tempting him with. You understand? Now, the equivalent of the devil saying when he takes him to the high tower and says, of all these things I'll give you, just bow and worship me. There was no internal sin in Christ thinking, hmm, let me think about that. All right, It was never there. That did not impress Jesus. So his suffering is from having to deal with it. Deal with the sin and the evil and someone it's be the equivalent of someone taking the what's the gr- fruit cake Christmas time, right? Someone trying to tempt you with a fruit cake. Eat this fruit cake and you're like, "Come on, man, I'm going to eat soon. Don't even put that in front of my face." Right? Fruit cake is a horrible thing. And then you know, no one's tempted by fruit cake. And we think someone's insulting us if we get one for Christmas, right? That's the equivalent of Jesus being tempted by the devil. The suffering is in... He's God. He made it all. Okay? I think that was a horrible way for an illustration, but I tried. Now let's move on. <laughs> Second Corinthians 5, 18, 19, and I jumped to 21. Just the juiciest morsels here. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
Now, in context, that's referring to the apostles, but the timeless truth, it applies to us as well. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Look at this part. If you have a guilty spirit, look at the yellow underlined highlighted part. Not counting their trespasses, sins against them. Merry Christmas! <laughs> the reset button, baby! It's my favorite! And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That's what Jesus does. When he dies on the cross, God no longer says you're guilty. He says you're innocent. By Christ, I can legally declare you not guilty and I'm not counting your sins against you. I'm not going to go up to Jesus and say, I tried my best because that means I want you to count my good and my bad. I don't! Right? Hit the reset button! And then in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, here's, here's how it happened, for our sake... He, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So not only is our sins not counted against us, God declares us his righteousness. I always say this, I've joked about this several times this year, post that on your Facebook this morning. I'm the righteousness of God. People be like, What's they saying? What did it talk about? Right? And then give them those verses. Now, let's understand something here. Imputation. This is my favorite transaction, one of my favorite theologies to talk about. See, Jesus does, uh, does this not only by dying the death we justly deserve, but by living the life we should have lived but didn't. Okay? This imputation means that on the cross... God credits Jesus with your lousy life. All of your stupidness, God accounts, okay, here's all your sins. Think of your sin list, everybody. Can you think of your sin list? And then he takes all that and he says, okay, Jesus, it's now on your account, even though you've never lived like this, and now I'm going to kill you because you, have now, and you now represent an absolute rebel to everything that I count as good, which is us. We're the rebels in our hearts thinking, yeah, God, I know you say that, but my idea is better, right? That's a dumb idea. If you disagree with God, guess who's wrong? It ain't God, all right? So he accounts it all to Jesus, and then he does a transaction. All of Jesus' good works, his perfect, sinless, flawless life, that he now counts as credited to our account. There's an exchange taking place. A substitute. It's called substitutionary atonement. Imputation. There's a, a moral exchange so that God can legally declare you not guilty. Here's another big term for you real quick. Federal headship. You all know we're guilty because Adam messed up, right? Even, even Jadam was saying the other week, Why did he do that? Why couldn't we go back there and smack him? What are you thinking, Adam, Right? Well, he represents the human race. And in Romans 5, you'll see this big exchange between Adam representing sin and death, and then Christ is the new Adam. And they're both taking a federal headship over us. 
giving representation before God. In the old realm, under Adam, it's the old self. I hate the term self-esteem and want to make our kids feel good about themselves. No, we don't. We want them to hate their sins, see how bad it is, and go pick up their room, and then be obedient to Jesus. Hint, 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 hint. Okay? Uh, Slaves to sin, ruled by law, dominated by the flesh, condemned to eternal death. That's what Adam gives us. Thanks, Adam. Then we come to Christ. In Christ, we're a new self. Jesus says you're a new creation. Slaves to righteousness. Yes! Can you imagine in heaven, we won't be able to sin. You won't. You'll get up and I'm not going to sin at all. Not even a, not a hint. Will be, you won't be able to sin. I love saying that. You won't be able to sin in your new glorified body. Ruled by grace. Empowered by the Spirit. Destined for eternal life. Merry Christmas. More than that, Romans 5.11, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. No longer enemies of God. I love it. The, man, the Son of Man must suffer. Mark 8, 29-39. And we're going through the book of Mark. We haven't got here yet, but look at this. Remember, Jesus says, uh, uh, but he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. Which what he said is, you are the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that the whole Old Testament's been talking about. You're that. And here you are. And Jesus strictly charged them, don't tell no one. What? And then he went on to explain, the, the teaching them that the Son of Man... That is a claim of deity. Son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. How important of who it is who was born, who it was, is so important. The incarnation, Emmanuel. Believe it or not, we're almost done. But this is so exciting. The who is very important. The Son of Man, the Messiah, must suffer. Also, if you look in Matthew 1 and Luke 3.23, the emphasis that Jesus had to be of the line of David is there. Now, when I was a first Christian, uh, I was in my 20s, and my reading wasn't so hot. And uh, all we had were Gideon Bibles kicking around on the bookshelves. And a friend of mine gave me King James on tape. So I had a good 80s person, always had a dual cassette boom box with at least a five-band equalizer, right? And so that was cool. I had one of those. So I put it in there. And it's like, well, I should start in the New Testament because that's all those Gideon Bibles were. So I started in Matthew 1. And has anyone tried reading Matthew 1? So-and-so begot so-and-so. So-and-so begot so-and-so. So-and-so. It's like, I can't even pronounce these. How can I get through... How am I going to be able to read this? I can't even get through chapter 1. I'm bored. (laughs) Alright? But there's... Once... You study Scripture and you realize that's very important because it's a line from, from Jesus to Abraham. 
And all those names that are in the scriptures that as you begin to read your Old and New Testament, you see these amazing things. It's like, oh, that's, that's a pretty serious uh, emphasis. So both Mark and Luke are pointing, Matthew and Luke are pointing out the importance of who Jesus was. Not just the Son of God, but of the line of David. Um, now, also about being conceived of the Holy Spirit. When Joseph heard that Mary was pregnant, Joseph was considering to call off the marriage. In Matthew 1, 20 and 21, But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All right, and you've all heard many of the stories about uh, the many sermons, I'm sure, about uh, uh, that particular story. And I wanted to give you everything else about how amazing it was of why Jesus it had to be the Son of God, born sinless. And finally, with John the Baptist, if you remember, John the Baptist has just said Jesus is coming, and then in John one twenty nine, he's got some of his disciples, and he says, "Look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." Do you see how this is all wrapping up? And this amazing, who is this Jesus? He's the creator of the universe. He sustains it, holds it together. He's incarnate, which means he has come down here in flesh. Jesus, in glory, right now has a flesh body with scars. And when he returns in the clouds in the future, who knows when, the whole world's going to see it. Christians are going to celebrate, and the rest of the world is going to be terrified when they see him burst through into glory. But I want to give you one more thing. Be thankful that God chose you to understand. Because who are we? Right? Who, did you get that? All that scripture I shared? Scripture, I want you to note, as a minister, preacher, I didn't preach and pontificate up here. Who, who cares what I think? Did you see the Bible verses? Did they convince you? Did they inspire you? Did they challenge you? Did they encourage you? All that matters is the Word of God. And I hope you got it. I hope you got some of it. I hope it's like, (laughs) that's some cool stuff. And it's so deep. There's so much I didn't want to dole out to you because I didn't want to overwhelm you. But there's so much. Understand this, in Luke 2, remember the shepherds? They're out there, they're working the night shift, in the cold, blue-collar workers. Of all the people in the world, from Donald Trump at Trump Towers to all the famous rich people in California, did the angels go to those people? The angel, when Jesus was born picked people faithfully doing their job on the night shift, the graveyard shift, outside of town. And the angels went to them and said, and then appeared in crazy awesome glory 
and said, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. God went to the people that mattered. Those shepherds out there working. And the angel said to them, what I just repeated to you, (laughs) Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you news of great joy, which will be for all the people. From 1 Corinthians 2.12, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Do you understand what you have in Christ? That is an amazing truth. Thank you our risen Savior, who is fully God and fully man, had come into the flesh, and we celebrate this day, of any day is a great day to celebrate your incarnation, your plan to save people from our wretchedness, from our evil, and give us a gift we certainly can't earn and we certainly don't deserve, the gift to be reconciled to our Creator God whom we've been rebelling against since we could ever have the energy or ability to do so. We repent. I certainly repent. We all repent. I hope people repent. And just want you more, God. Want you more, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, for this Christmas season, um, this is the meaning of Christmas, that we would love and worship our Creator God who's reconciled us through Christ. For the saints that are out and were unable to make it to a service today, that they would remember these truths in their scripture clearly given to them. And for all the saints here, that for the rest of this Christmas, for the travel time and the family, that uh, they would be a shining light and show love to their family and bless in those situations. Thank you for your grace, Jesus. Thank you for your love, Jesus. Thank you, Father God, for this whole plan to save us. In Jesus' name. There's some food for thought. Please visit thespeakandeacon.com and get connected to the growing number of social media Christians. Thespeakandeacon.com. Truth is here.